What we're doing matters too much. It matters how we live. It matters how we conduct ourselves. It matters how we carry the Holy Ghost. It matters what we say. And it it matters how we treat other people. All of these things matter. So I ask everyone, how are you living? How do you live? Um, We could talk about finances, and that's important. If you want to ask people how they live, uh, they might discuss what means they have or provisions. But, of course, this has to do with our spiritual walk with God. I'm going to present three main levels of understanding as, as it pertains to Christian living, Christian living. And we're going to zero down until we finally get into daily disciplines. And I'm going to show you how daily disciplines are created. The first umbrella, the first level, we could call it the, the highest level or the only main level is the scripture. We live according to the Bible. I'll give you a couple of verses as it pertains to the scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine. Everyone say doctrine. For reproof, say reproof. For correction, for instruction in righteousness. Everyone say all scripture. That the man of God, the the Christian, the believer, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The scripture provides everything that we would ever need. Mark chapter 11 verse 25. Watch this. This is is the irrefutable scripture. So I'm just going to read this, but I'll, I'll, I'll show you how this works with the umbrella of the scripture. When you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, forgive. So your father can forgive you your sins. If you don't forgive, he won't forgive you. Now, I'm going to describe these in a moment, but I just want you to think about that. This Scripture is not open for debate. No one ever has to take a vote on this. We don't need a think tank. We don't need a group. No one needs to poll whether or not you should obey the Scripture because it is the premier. I'll give you some more. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Don't touch the unclean thing. I'll receive you. So the scripture is emphatic that you cannot live according to the ways of the world. Luke 13, 5. I tell you, Jesus said this. Nay, but except ye repent, you'll all die. Luke 3, 8. Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Once again, this is the scripture. I'll give you one last one, but there's... There's a whole Bible of this. Give, Luke 6, and it shall be given unto you. This is not a, these are not suggestions, ladies and gentlemen. Give, it shall be given unto you. This is how it's going to come back. 
Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For the same measure that you give, it shall be given to you. Or you meet out, it shall be given back to you. These are all large issues that pertain to the Christian life. So I'm going to give you the attributes of this first level, this overarching basis of how we live. How do you live? You live according to the scripture. Here it is. It is God's word. You live according to God's word. You don't live according to governmental mandates. You don't live according to cultural preferences or what is trending. You live according to God's word. We are privileged in the United States in that for the most part, we don't have to reject governmental mandates to live according to God's word. But many countries do. It is illegal to worship in many countries. And in fact, if you just study the OPEC nations in the Middle East, it is illegal to convert a Muslim to Christianity. And if by chance a Muslim decides to convert, they lose their house, their family, their jobs, whatever. They lose everything. We don't have, we don't, we're not under those burdens here. So we don't understand that. But the first level is that you're living according to God's word. Not the commentary that you read on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or any other social media outlet. Number two, that first umbrella, that scripture is established. It is established. You didn't establish it. I didn't create it. It is the anointed word of God, the infallible word of God. That's how we live according to the word of God. And number three, of course, I could have gone on. I could have had 20 of these. It's without rebuttal. And I, 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 I'm going to bring this back up again. I've said it too many times, but I can remember someone asking me a biblical question. And I said, well, the Bible says, and they said, well, no, no, no. What do you think about it? And I said, well, uh, I was stumped. I, I, I didn't catch on. I'm slow on the draw, ladies and gentlemen. Had I lived in Louis L'Amour days, I'd have died. Because while they shot me, I was, I was wondering, why are they so angry? And I wouldn't have gotten my gun out of the holster. Out of the holster. And they said, no, no, I want, what do you think about it? And I said, well, the Bible says, as I quoted a little scripture, I said, no, no, I don't want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what you think. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter what I think. My thoughts are inconsequential. No matter how flowery or how wordy or how pseudo-intelligent they may sound, if the Bible already speaks against it, it doesn't matter what you or I think. We live according to the established word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall never pass away. So how are you living? You live in according to the word. Now, I would just submit to you that if you don't read your Bible every day, you don't know how to live. Oh, well, amen. I'm going to amen myself all night. Amen, pastor. Amen. Preach it. Okay, I will. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Just stand there for a second. You don't get to decide what you think it means to you. This is a cultural thing. Now, you know this is what's happening. Well, what the Bible means to me is, well, what that says to me, 
Wait a second. Wait a second. The scripture is not subjective. I don't live according to a subjective thought. What does it say? And this is the reason why. For the prophecy or the scripture came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake. They wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So God spoke and men wrote just like an attorney dictates to his paralegal. He speaks, the paralegal types or writes out what he says. God spoke and men wrote. So this is how we're living. Let me just interject the human issue. There's always a human issue. Reasons why people might reject this umbrella of the scripture. Because they don't know or because they purposely ignore it. Here's what the Bible says. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. He closed his eye. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. There was a time when God considered the ignorance of people. Now I have spoke to you about this, right? All the young ladies need to find a good husband. And if they, if they, if they find some young men that are not good, that they should quote the scripture and just move the comma around when the Bible says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Just put, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Just depends on where you put the comma. <laughs> the times of this ignorance, God winked at. He, so some people reject the word. Some people are not rejecting it. They just don't know the word. I remember being pulled over by a police officer. I was going 50 and a 35 in a college campus in Wisconsin when I was going to a business school there. I was 19, I believe. And the police officer said, do you know how, how fast you're going? And I said, I'm not really sure, but I'm, I know I was going over the speed limit or you would not have pulled me over. Then he said, what's the speed limit here? And I said, I don't really know. Now, I thought that was a great answer because I thought if I told him I wasn't sure, he would say, well, since you don't know the speed limit, I'm going to let you go. He said, well, it's 35 and you were going 50. He, and I said, why would I get a speeding ticket if I didn't know what the speed limit was? And that's when he educated me with a $75 speeding ticket. And my education that I paid for that day, it was a quick course, actually, a very quick course. I got to sign something. I got a piece of paper in return for it. It, it was a graduation. And, and the lesson was this. It was just one lesson. cost 75 bucks. He said, it is your responsibility to know the speed limit of every road you travel on. That doesn't seem fair, does it? That's the law of the land, ladies and gentlemen. You don't get to plead ignorance. And when it comes to this book, you don't get to plead ignorance. He doesn't wink anymore. He commands everyone everywhere to repent. But the human issue says, well, I just don't know. Or maybe we ignore it. There's another human issue. There's so many words here. I just, I decide to put them together. You can take your pick. Faithless or purposeful, sinful behavior, willful behavior. I'll read from the book of Romans in the NIV. 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to everyone. Watch this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. There's a God. This is purposeful rejection. It's the human condition. You see, the Bible is God's word. It's his authority over everyone. It is like this overreaching, overarching umbrella that spans all times, all dispensations, all languages, and all cultures. You've got to get into the word. You've got to read the word. Every day, you should read at least one chapter in the Bible every day. Every day of your life. You've got to read and then you've got to study. And sometimes I might get stuck on one or two verses, but then I'll study those verses every day. We need to treat the Bible like it's our daily food, like it's something we cannot live without. It should be foremost at the forefront of everything that we do. I'll give you two more problems in the human issue when it comes to the Bible and I'll describe them very quickly. Cultural relativity is the third human issue. Cultural relativity is an interesting concept. People who believe that the Bible is, is not applicable today because they think that they have to filter it through cultural relativity. It is true that the Bible was written a couple thousand years ago in a different language. But those who espouse cultural relativity and they use that lens, they negate the scripture because they don't want to apply the scripture to their lives. And they'll say, it's just for them back there. It's not for me. And then with that is number four, people who would assume it to be figurative or metaphoric in nature. Sister Tammy was at an event where a Presbyterian preacher in this town got up and said, no one believes the Bible is literal. No one believes the Bible. The Bible is just a storybook. That's what pastors are saying today in denominations. Well, I want to tell you, the Bible is literal. There was an ark, a flood. There was fire falling from heaven on Mount Carmel. The fire that fell from heaven consumed Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a cross, a resurrection. Lazarus came forth from the grave. People were healed of blindness, sickness, lepers, diseased. Yes. So, but the human issue, the human problems negate it. I just want to show you tonight the first level of umbrella is the scripture. And I want to emphasize this to everyone. No matter where you're at, it's important to get into the Word and read the Bible. It's very, very important.
That is the foundation of all that I think. The Bible commands my finances. It challenges my temperament. Who's ever had a problem with your temperament? Who, who sometimes never tells the truth? <laughs> who, who's lying right now? <laughs> the Bible challenges my thinking. It disturbs me. It cuts me. For the word of God is sharp. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing, dividing. Moving things around. The word does operation on my life. It cuts out things. It knows the thoughts and intents of my heart. The Bible knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. That's why the preached word of God can do something that a normal conversation cannot do. Because it pierces down into your heart. And I want to know, how can I leave this pulpit and ten different people say, that was just for me. I'll tell you why. Because the word of God applies to everybody's life. And if you're not in the valley and I'm preaching about the valley, hold on, your valley's coming. And if you're not on the mountain, hold on, you're going to get up because your mountain is on the way. So if you're not in the moment, wait a day and you'll be in the moment. Amen. The Bible. Now number two, I'm getting down to where we need to be. Number two is the, is the local body, the local church body. I... There's many ways I could have put this before you, but you could even write the storehouse. It's where we are tonight. It's this body of believers. We are the church, but we're not the totality of the church. We're part of the body. We're the body of Christ in this place at this time. And the storehouse is the place where spiritual food is presented and where the body of believers, the body of Christ, convenes for worship and praise and teaching and preaching in support of spreading the gospel to support missionaries around the world. We can do more together than we can alone. There is something about synergy, bringing our combined efforts where two or three gather together. Wouldn't it be great where three or four hundred or five or six hundred gather together and touch any one thing? I'm going to return to the, the verse I'm about to, to read to you in weeks to come. But for a moment, I just want to, revert, to review the last two verses of Acts chapter 2. The last portion is an overview of what happened throughout the days of the early church. Not just in one moment, but throughout the days. Verse 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Everyone say, in the temple. This is where we are right now. This is our modern day version of the collective house and breaking bread from house to house. They were in two different places. They were daily in the temple and they were from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So what I want to emphasize to you is that People came to a local church, a body, a place. Paul said as much, and he said this in Acts 20 and 20, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. Publicly means in a general forum and from house to house, which is not a general forum. So there were two different locations. It was this collective group, and it was a house church. 
testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. So he did not have any preference. There was no prejudice in Paul. He preached and taught the same thing. Repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will address the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation. So I am on solid ground by saying it's important to have a storehouse, a church, a public place where we can come. Amen. I mean, this is where, this is where ministry takes place. Here's a big word. You should write it down. Accountability occurs. Accountability. Right now, we're in a, we're in the throes of a little resurgence. Maybe the pandemic, pandemic is still in place. It's important that all the church body, wherever you are, that you are accountable for your whereabouts. Be accountable. It's okay. Most everyone has my cell phone number. And if you don't, I will give it to you for a nominal fee. And it's easy to text me even while I'm teaching and saying, Pastor, I'm with you. That gives me confidence and it also shows that you're accountable. Amen. And the place went crazy, shouting and dancing. And people are already running around the church right now. Let me just tell you a couple attributes of the second level where the body gathers. It's a place where the body of Christ meets for worship. This is important. You can write next to this exampleship. I learned how to praise. I learned how to be faithful. I learned things about walking with God when I saw the saints of God live it out in front of me during worship. Number two, this second level is a location designated where the fivefold ministry operates. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and pastors and teachers. God did that. So this is where this operates, where pastoral authority operates and where prophetic words, where the offices of the fivefold ministry are displayed. It's not the only place, but this is where it's displayed. And then number three, and I'm going to talk about this, is delegated authority. Overseers, bishops, pastors, teachers, they all operate in this forum. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, it refers to the church as the flock of God. Jesus is called the head in Ephesians 5.23, the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5.4. And the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It does not belong to any of the fivefold ministry, but he designated them. The pastor holds an office very similar to the steward in ancient times. He is the under-shepherd. He is commanded to feed the flock which is God's heritage, Jesus is the head. And it belongs to the Lord. So let me just give you four aspects of what happens in the second level. The pastor will oversee the church. The primary word bishop is overseer. He oversees the ministries of the church. We, we have a little, we've conflated and sometimes twisted the word bishop. But the bishop is, 
a person who oversees, and he may even oversees other pastoral ministries. Number two, um, there's a rule over the church, 1 Timothy 5 and 17. That word rule doesn't mean dictator. It just means simply, and, and I'll give you the literal translation, it means to stand before. The idea here is to lead or to attend or to stand before and to express disciplines and even reproof from those who would hear it. Also in this second area of living, there is some feeding. The word pastor actually means shepherd. And there is a duty, the word, to hear the word, to receive the word. It's the feeding of life. And finally, those bishops, overseers, pastors, fivefold ministries are to guard the doctrines of the church. Titus 1 and 9. The teacher and the apostle was to be committed to faithful men who would teach also, it also uh, other people. It means to preserve the integrity of the gospel. So I'll just do that again for you. To oversee, to stand before, to feed, and to guard. This, this is what is supposed to be accomplished within this forum because it brings a unity of the body. And there are moments when that authority overseen has to guard, protect, and lead and direct based upon what's happening in the world. I can see there's a couple men here that have some facial hair. And... Um, Today, I don't know that it's, it's any real big deal for people to have some facial hair. But there was a time in America when facial hair was attributed to all-out rebellion. And so our pastors would often talk about this because it represented rebellion. Um, when the Beatles came in to play, uh, there was certain hairstyles that pastors would tell their folks not to wear. There was a time when um, a red dress was inappropriate to wear. And pastors would tell their saints, do not wear a red dress. It's, you're displaying something. That's telling of something. Now, we don't have that it, right now. We don't have that. But those are, those are moments when the United States went through a cultural shifts. Um, there were, there were times, I don't know if you know this, I mean, there was times when, 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 when our pastors in all denominations would tell their saints and their ladies not to wear open-toed shoes. And there was a moment when they were not to wear pantyhose without a seam in them, and then ones with one. This, is, this goes back to my first praise report. If I haven't told you, my first praise report is, thank God I'm not a lady. Amen. Uh, these things, these things were directed by, by leadership based upon what was happening in the world. And there are things we still need to guard against because we don't want our good to be spoken evil of. Read your Bible. 
We don't want to entertain the devil. We, in fact, the Bible says give no place to the devil. So there are certain things we shouldn't do. There are certain websites we should never be on. I, I'm not talking about Facebook. But if you believe I'm talking about Facebook, then I'm talking about Facebook. There's certain, there's certain websites we should never, we should never visit because they're iffy. Our youth pastor on a regular basis has sent out warnings. Don't let your kids do this or that. Be careful of that because this is a landmine. There's landmines everywhere. The internet is full of landmines. You know what the greatest engine in the world? It's not the locomotive engine. It's not the combustible engine. It's not the, it's not, it's not an engine that, that's high, it's not a, it's not an airplane engine. It's a search engine. It's the most destructive engine in the world. So, in this area, there are certain things we need to do to come together. We learn that here. This is the second umbrella. The second always has to look towards the first. The second never operates outside of the first. In fact, the power of the second comes from the first. The first says, repent without debate. Forgive without debate. Give without debate. The second gives directives. The first is established without any rebuttal. And the second is principle-based from the first. How are we doing? And now we're on to number three. This is where I really wanted to get to, but I couldn't start here. Because I don't get here until I, until I establish my foundation and I understand where I'm at in my storehouse. Personal convictions. Personal convictions. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts of personal convictions. Years and years ago, um, Brother Huddiger was telling me this many, many years ago. I can't remember how long, but he used to drink coffee in the morning. And, and Brother Huddiger's here. There you are, Brother Huddiger. Brother Huddiger said to me once, he said, I've stopped drinking coffee because I realized what it's going to do to me. He said, I just have a conviction now. I'm just not going to. Now, he might have, that might have been for a span of time. Uh, he, 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 may have, he may have gone back to drink coffee, but you, you haven't. So I guess I shouldn't give you that Java Hote card after church, should I? Okay. So I won't do that and tempt you. Um, but that was something that he decided to do. It's a personal conviction. Personal convictions are very important. Let me give you a couple directives for personal convictions. Number one, they should never go against the scripture. No matter what you think, your, your conviction should never go or violate the Bible. So if you have a conviction never to go to church on Sunday, that's not a conviction. That something's wrong. <laughs> they should never be designed to divide the local body of believers. People have convictions, but sometimes they are designed to mess up everyone else. I'll get to that. They are not for self-glorification. Or to present oneself as more spiritual than another. In fact, I would just submit to you that if you have convictions, personal convictions, you probably ought to keep them to yourself. And they must never be used to condemn other people. 
Now, I'll, I'll tell you where those four points came from. They came from growing up in the church all of my life and hearing different people express their personal convictions as if everyone else ought to follow them. Let me give you the development for your convictions. They are mostly developed through your daily disciplines, and here it is, your daily disciplines. My, my convictions have almost entirely come through my daily disciplines because these are habits that I do and they become part of my core. Say core. What is your core? I'm going to go back to this question. How do you live? How are you living? What's your, what are your core convictions? Things you will do and won't do. Things you will never violate. What are they? What are they? What are your convictions? In development of those convictions, they are also in response to your prayer life and what God is speaking to you. Maybe I should even say to you directly or individually. Can you imagine? God might give you a word that's not for everyone else. Because he's trying to lead you away from something that will destroy your eternal walk. Your life. Now, let's go back to the first level. You don't need a conviction to follow what's written. This is not subject to your convictions. You don't, you don't get the choice whether or not to live holy or worldly. It's already in the Bible. You don't say, well, I just have a conviction. I don't, I don't give any money. That's just my conviction. You can't have a conviction that violates the scripture. And if pastor gets up and says, now listen, we're all going to come for prayer. And we're going we're gonna to pray on a Friday night. You can't say, well, listen, I have a conviction against that. No, that's the second level. Underneath the first, that's the second level. <laughs> Maybe I should give you a, 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 very, a much more relevant example. But then, well, I might later. So in my prayer life... And in my Bible reading, God speaks to me about something I have to do. And there's many things that I've had to do. They are my convictions. I have to have this. I'll offer you one. My, mom, my mother and father, my dad left an engineering job at Mopac Railroad Company. My mother left a very good job in St. Louis. She went back later and got her nursing degree. They went and pastored a little church in Missouri, a country town right outside of St. Louis area. They never made more than $9,000 a year from their local church. I can remember in a business meeting, uh, one lady stood up and said, I think our pastor should get at least $250 a week. Everybody clapped and mom and dad kind of smiled. The church didn't have $250 a week. I grew up on Monday mornings watching my mother count pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters and seeing if there was enough money to pay the church bills. My dad had painting jobs and reconstruction jobs and all kinds of different jobs. And then he started a Christian school and that made no money but took more out of the church. I can remember my dad driving the little yellow church van with a smiley face on it. It didn't sound very well. It was pitiful. Me and Scotty asked him, please drop us off here. Don't drop us off in front of the school. And he said, oh, no, kids, I'm going to drop you off right there. No, Scott said, no, Dad, don't do it, don't do it. And, and so, uh, but he always pulled us right up to the school, and it said, Jesus loves you with a smiley face, nasty little yellow van. Church band. Uh, I, can remember, I can remember my dad getting a 1975 Ford Granada, 
and it was silver with a red top and the seat broke. So he just attached a big chain, chain link chain to the roof, uh, to the top of the interior roof uh, and hold the seat up. When the, when I would drive it, the manifold slipped and the, and the steering wheel would shake real violently and it only had AM radio. So can you imagine me taking out a date for a nice Friday night date and the thing's shaking and all you could listen to is the big band sounds of AM radio stations. It wasn't very attractive. Mom and dad sacrificed. People would often leave groceries on our doorstep. They didn't have any money. We lived in the church basement for two years before dad finally built his own home. We took a lot of our baths and sinks where there was sulfur water. My kids have no idea what I'm talking about. Sulfur water. It's very good for your teeth, but it smells like rotten eggs. <laughs> you barely have to brush, but, but you smell like a rotten egg all the time. Uh-huh. Our playground was the sanctuary. I'm sorry to say that, but it's upstairs, you know, it's upstairs. My mother and father sacrificed to get me here. I have a conviction. I fast because it's my only way to subject myself and identify with what my parents went through. It's not for you. It's not up for debate. You don't have to do it. You don't know when I'm doing it. But I have to go without food. I have, to, I have to put my body under subjection. I've got to remember how I got here. I have to rely upon the Lord. Because if you're putting groceries on, on, my, on my porch, my, in front of my house, I'm wondering who you are. And we're going to sick the dogs after you. <laughs> now, someone did bring us an a eggplant. I don't know who did that. It was a wonderful thank you. I'm not living like my mom and dad lived. And it burdens me. It burdens me. So my convictions, this is just one of them, that I subject myself to any measures of sacrifice because I refuse. My scripture that I try to live by all my life is 2 Samuel 24, 24. That's my scripture. When Aruna tried to give David the threshing floor and said, you're the king. And David said, I cannot offer God something that costs me nothing. These are convictions that you have to have. If you don't have any convictions, you need to go home. You need to pray right now, Lord, help me to discover what my convictions are. What are my self-imposed boundaries? They are self-imposed boundaries that keep you away from what you know is your stumbling block. You see, this is much more difficult than asking your pastor what you should and shouldn't do, what you should and should not wear, where you should and should not go. And I think there's a host of people who would like to be told what they should do, how they should talk, what they should watch. In 20, almost 21 years, I cannot believe it, almost 21 years now, I have tried to follow this, and it hasn't always, I haven't always followed suit, but I've tried to follow this, to tell you or to express to you, you need to pray about that. Because whatever I say, I'm probably going to leave something out. In other words, your convictions are, what is good for you? What is good for your family? Some families in this church have convictions about 
what rating the movie can be. And others don't have that conviction. And some will say, we're only allowing G, some PG. Some say, we're not going to allow anything but PG-13 or less than that or whatever it is. But whatever those convictions are, they're for you and your home. But they should always follow the first. They should never transplant the second and then they are yours under that. I would say to you, That they are steps of faith to bring you closer to the Lord, your convictions. And they come from your daily disciplines of life. What are they? Let me ask you. You should go back and listen to the sermon. It's called, When Men Are Not Afraid to Speak. Write it down, When Men Are Not Afraid to Speak. Go back and listen to it. You don't need a conviction for that sermon. You need to follow it because it's in the Bible. But if you do need something then you should at least say, I will not speak of evil or repeat it. It's my conviction. Yes. Let me tell you about the human condition or the human issue here. You see, when personal convictions are not established correctly, they are often used to dominate other people. Even in this house, I have noticed through the years people expressing their personal convictions, but they don't do it in the right way. And they use them as tools to dominate other people. People with certain personal convictions have retold them even in order to recruit someone else into their, into their small oikos. And also this last human issue is that they can be used to denounce godly leadership. Well, I have a conviction And it's opposing what the pastor or what the leader or what my teacher says. Be very careful. Because if you don't manage your convictions, they can be used as tools of rebellion. Remember, the word of God is without rebuttal. The house has house rules. I do not think that everyone who who wears Levi's or blue jeans are wrong. I have two new pairs of blue jeans from Old Navy. And I got them on sale online. They had a coronavirus sale on blue jeans. I'm, I'm, I think that's exactly what it was called, coronavirus blue jeans. If you wear them, you're sure not to have a fever. And I bought two pair because for the last five months, I've worn blue jeans more than I've worn blue jeans in years. It's, it's almost liberating. Now I have four pairs of blue jeans in all the various colors. Gray, black, light blue jean, dark blue jean. That's it. That's what I got. <laughs> but house rules are this. This is the second level. I don't want anyone wearing blue jeans on the platform while they're singing. No blue jean skirts. No blue jean jackets. I don't even want a blue jean tie. I don't even want a sign that says blue jeans. Well, that's a little far. I, 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 got, I, got, I got carried away. It's because they're house rules. I just didn't want 
to dumb down the platform like that. When we're in service, I didn't want to have that. Now, if they're practicing, it's one thing. If they're coming in practicing, it's, 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 but when we're in service, I just didn't want to have blue jeans on the platform. These are house rules. You've got house rules, right? I've been in some folks' homes that when you walked in and you wish you'd have known before you went, right? They said, if you'll just take your shoes off at the front and then it dawned on you, oh, I'm wearing that old pair of socks. It's got a hole in the toe. Mm-hmm. House rules. Tammy and I were invited to see the temple, um, the Mormon temple in, in northern Indiana. I think it's in Carmel. And their house rules, everyone had to wear little booties over their shoes. Couldn't walk with your own shoes in that place. We just went to view it. The audaciousness, the amazing architect. House rules. There's some house rules. Drink water. It's good. Drink water. Whatever your kids need to drink, that's fine too. Well, house rules, we, we probably would discourage you from having coffee in the church or Coca-Cola. It's not going to send you to hell, but it might send you to the foyer. <laughs> and of course, the foyer is only one step away from hell while I'm preaching. That's really the truth right there. So I don't know who's in there, but they better get back in here before the rapture. House rules. This is the storehouse. Here's the storehouse. This is the place we're convening, operating, how we live, what we do, boundary lines, all under the principles of the scripture. And think of those umbrellas. And then you develop your convictions. And your convictions need to speak about you. They need to say something about you. What is it about you that you struggle with? If you struggle with gossiping, There may be something you need to change so that you're not tempted to do that. If you struggle with material possessions, it's probably not good that your credit card is logged on to the just to the buy button at Amazon. If you're struggling with your finances, you probably need to have something that guides you so that you don't spend more than you make. If you're struggling, if you're struggling with giving your tithing, you have to, you need an accountability Somewhere, somebody, accountability partner that would just be able to ask you, hey, have you, have you given your tithing? Do you give your offering? If you don't pray, you need to have some kind of time that you just set aside and say, I'll do nothing until I pray. In this moment, you need to find a place in your home and just say, this is where I'm going to seek God. You need to know where that's at and frequent it all the time. Your personal convictions ought to put boundaries around your life. Boundaries are wonderful. They protect you, your mind, your thoughts, your marriage, and your house, and your children. Your boundaries protect you. What is it that you won't put on? Is there anything you won't wear? Someone told me several years ago about the church, and they said, well, I noticed that uh, ladies are wearing skirts a lot, dresses on the platform. And I said, well, did you notice we don't have any blue jeans on the platform? And they said, no, I don't really care about that. I said, well, I, okay, never mind. And I said, and, and the person said, well, you know, I, I don't know if I'm into all those holiness rules. I said, okay, that's fine. He said, tell me about where you were attending. <laughs> I already knew. Oh, well, pastor, I was just, things were just being let go and, I was looking up the platform and the praise and worship leader has a baseball cap on. I said, oh, you have convictions. So my line is here. 
what we won't do. And your line's over here. You have holiness too. Just a different line. You got holiness. You got holiness. You want someone up here with a, with a, with, with a short shorts on and a baseball cap turned, turned backwards? No, you don't. No, you don't want that. You would think something's wrong, and so would I. It's just a line. It's a line of demarcation. So in the second level, I've got house rules. And on the third level, you have your convictions. The problem is, people don't want to have any convictions. They just want to be told. And if some don't even want to be told, they want to say, if I don't see it in the Bible, the Bible doesn't use the word marijuana. I guess it's okay. No, it's not okay. No, it's not okay. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So the house rules, house rules say, no, your body's the temple. We don't smoke marijuana. Well, I don't, I don't care what your convictions are. That's the house rules. All right, well, Yes. I'm considering the umbrellas now, and I just want you to know about these umbrellas. The first is without argument. The second is administered for the sake of the whole body, because we have to have unity in the body. We have to have unity in the body. Now, you might have a word from the Lord, but if it interrupts the preached word, then I have to ask you, don't give the word from the Lord. The first time I saw this was many years ago. We were at a large conference, and there was about 3,000 ministers there, and the preacher was about to get up to preach, and a lady in the back started giving loud tongues and interpretation. And Brother Mangan was at the pulpit, and he got in the microphone and said, Not now. This is not the time for tongues and interpretation. And he had to say it a couple of times, and she stopped. He said, We're going to hear from the man of God, and he brought the preacher forward. And I just... I was way over there, but I just felt like I wish I was a turtle right now. And some people say, well, that would embarrass. Don't embarrass. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I've had to shut people down because they were out of order. Now, if you can't handle that, then you don't know the first. And you don't respect the second. And your core should say, it's okay. I got another sermon for you. Go back. I'm just going to, you know, my next stage of ministry is going to be citing all the past sermons. It's called Wounds of a Friend. I think it's something like that. Just hunt around for the word wounds. And I ask the question, can I cut you? Because the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. But most people won't, re- won't receive that. They won't receive it. I just want you to know this is what the Bible's for too. So when I say to someone... You must be a servant in the church. You must find a place to serve. That is offensive to some people because they feel like it's condemnation. It's not condemnation. It's a directive. You don't need a conviction to serve in the church. This third umbrella is powerful. It's for the keeping. Everyone say keeping. It's the keeping of your life. And the danger with leaving the first 
is that none of them work without the Bible, the Scripture. Humanism becomes the basis for people's ideas because the foundation is the Scripture. Here's your Scripture, Ephesians 2.20, and we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I see this woven into conversations. The dialogue uses a quote from some person and not the Scripture. Well, you know, this great man used to say, this great lady used to say, they might even be spiritual, but the Bible is left out. So don't quote me. Find the infallible word of God and live by that. If the Bible is excluded, then it doesn't matter what anyone says. They're all wrong. And if I don't preach the word, then I'm wrong. I'm not impervious. I have to obey the word. And I don't lord over the saints of God. I am a temporary manager for a period of time. To feed the flock of the Most High God. You are blood-bought people. I call it my millstone mindset. You've got to be careful before you quote someone, even if it sounds profound. Because the fact of the matter is, cleanliness is not next to godliness. And I don't care what your grandmother told you. It's not in the Bible. That doesn't mean you should be dirty. But it's not the scripture. I remember hearing that when I was growing up. Well, you know what the Bible says? Cleanliness is next to godliness. No, it does not say that. I've read the Bible several times and memorized over 5,000 verses. I've never seen that one. It's not in the Bible. However, it's a good principle. (laughs) And sometimes I wish it was there. I don't care how spiritual your grandma was, your pawpaw. It's the word of God that we live by. And when I get down to my daily disciplines of my life, and I'm going to close with this. When I get down to my daily disciplines, I realize how much they expand into my convictions of living. And even after all this time of living for God, sometimes I'm still groping to find more of the Lord. I'm still finding rough edges in my life. Because as Brother Shock taught me over 25 years ago, preaching and teaching is not a 45-minute performance. It's a way of living. It's a way of life. Whatever I'm saying right here, I've been working on long before I got to you. If I preach a convicting message and you say, boy, that was convicting, I want to tell you, I've been through the ringer. I've been convicted long before I ever stood before you. Before I ever asked this church to go on a fast, trust me when I tell you, I haven't eaten for a while before I ask you not to. Because I know this is just an overspill of what I'm doing. I've got to do this. I've got to do it. See, that's my conviction. My conviction is not to present something to the body that I'm unwilling to do myself. And the concern I have is that we, as we move more toward a regulated society, do you realize that's where we're moving? We're moving towards a regulated society where we are told what we are allowed to think and what not to think. You might reject that. You personally might reject it, but we're moving towards that society. It's already in play right now. It's been in play for a few years. But that drifts into the church. You might reject in the world, but when it comes to the church, then we want our walk with God to be dictated so that we don't have to pray about how to be spiritual. We just want to be told about how to be spiritual. 
I will tell you, I cannot create a conviction for you, but you ought to be able to rattle off two or three of your convictions. It might be, I don't drink coffee. It might be, I don't go to a movie theater. Of course, right now, you don't even have to have a conviction about that. It might be, I, I don't drink certain beverages because they look like alcoholic beverages. I might, I don't wear this attire because it, 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 it's not good for me to do that. I don't go into that establishment. My father, we, we were at a dinner table. It was like a, one of the original Applebee's. It wasn't that restaurant. And, and, and there was virgin strawberry daiquiris on the, on the menu. Virgin strawberry daiquiris. There was no alcohol in it. It just had the strawberry and it was, it was so neat. And my brother ordered a, 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 a virgin strawberry daiquiri. He was always pushing the envelope. He's not here to defend himself. So that's his fault for working hard tonight and not able to come. And, my, and they brought it out, and it looked like all the, other virgin, all the other daiquiris at the bar, we were at the restaurant section. And my dad said to the lady, could you bring us a regular glass? And made Scotty pour the virgin strawberry daiquiri into the regular glass. Why? Scott said, why? Can you trust me? Can you trust me? And my father said, it's not about trust. It's not about what's in there. It's about how it looks to other people. They don't know what you're drinking when it's in that glass. And my dad had a conviction. And Scott didn't have his own house. <laughs> so just can you can you can you catch this logic now okay so so we didn't we didn't have to have our convictions we could have them if we wanted to but we were living under dad's convictions and from then on scott ordered virgin strawberry daiquiris but he always made sure they came in the regular glass the same glass we drank our iced tea from because there was a border and a boundary I ought to be very careful because in a couple of weeks, Scotty's going to teach and who knows what he's going to say about me. I just want to say to him right now, be careful. <laughs> and I can lead you and I can speak to borders and boundaries, but you must adopt it. You must create him. You must develop him for your own life. Convictions. Just right now, close your eyes with me, wherever you are at home or at here. And just in your mind, think about what can you just think of one conviction you have that's for you personally, for you? And then if you can't think or if you're struggling, or even if you have them, just pray with me right now, Lord, help me. Help me to seek you, Lord, so that I can find the boundaries and the borders that help my life, so that I can live holy before you. Help me, Lord, in my daily disciplines so that out of those, I can find my borders and my boundaries. I need to adopt them, create them. Help me, Jesus. Pray this prayer with me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew within me a right spirit. Create in me, O oh God, a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Yes, Jesus' holy name. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. And everybody said amen.